Does the PCA have women pastors, women deacons? Does the PCA ordain women or men only? The answers to those questions are not as straightforward and clear as one might think. Indeed, our book of church order is abundantly clear that the offices of the church, elder and deacon, are open to men only. However, because some elders and deacons differ from what we have accepted together as standard expositions of the teaching of Scripture in relation to both faith and practice, especially regarding pastors, elders, and deacons, many churches will follow creative workarounds regarding the BCO. They will withhold ordination from women but still address them as pastor or deacon. Instead of ordaining them, they will simply commission them. One church website even calls such a practice an open secret, as we've noted before on this program. And so that brings us back to the question, does the PCA have women pastors or women deacons? And the answer depends on what we are talking about. Are we talking about what we have agreed to be our standard exposition of Scripture's teaching in our Constitution? Or are we talking about the practice of a large number of churches within the PCA? You will get two different answers depending on where you look, our church constitution or the practice of numerous congregations. There is an effort underway to try to promote unity in the PCA around this issue. The 50th General Assembly passed an overture to amend the PCA constitution, particularly the Book of Church Order, to explicitly prohibit the titles of church office, pastor, elder, or deacon, from being used by non-ordained people in PCA congregations. Well, to talk about this effort, I am joined by the Reverend Matthew Adams, pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Dillon, South Carolina, and the Reverend Kyle Brent, who is pastor of Grace Presbyterian Church in Conway, South Carolina, and a former moderator of the PD Presbytery. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us, Ron. Thanks, brother. Oh, thanks for being here. Otherwise, I'd have to talk to myself, and that just freaks the secretary out. Um Well, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about this item one that the Presbyterians are going to be voting on. Uh, Matt, do you want to introduce it? Yeah, sure. Um, You know, last summer, or this past summer, uh, at the 50th General Assembly, we passed an overture uh, that got sent uh, up to us uh, from a Presbytery, and then the Overtures Committee uh, addressed it and debated it, and then finally it came to the floor of General Assembly where it passed overwhelmingly might I add, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it passed pretty overwhelmingly that uh, only those uh, men who have been elected to office of pastor, elder, or deacon ought to be titled as such within the local church context. And so uh, this was a an effort uh, to tighten uh, our language a bit uh, in the Presbyterian Church in America so that we might experience further uh, unity and harmony amongst our uh, national denomination. Uh, To standardize our practice with what we confess and what we say is the standard exposition of the teaching of Scripture on on this issue in particular. Uh, So it says, it, it adds one sentence to paragraph 3 in chapter 7, Furthermore, unordained people shall not be referred to as or given the titles of the ordained offices of pastor, elder, or deacon. Well, uh, why is this even necessary? Isn't what we have in our book of church order already sufficient? Well, you know, our founding fathers would have thought so. Um, 
You know, it was one of those things that for, you know, 48, 47, 45 years now within the Presbyterian Church in America, we have seen real stability and unity amongst the way that we title uh, our uh, our staff, our elders, our deacons. And so the common practice up until here recently within our denominational history is we've had ordained men to be teaching elders, ruling elders, or deacons. Um, and then beyond that, our staffs were considered directors or coordinators or some like title. Uh, but here recently, we have uh, really been seeing this this movement, if you will, uh, amongst many of our churches that now they are being given the titles of minister or pastor or deaconess or, or even shepherdess. Um, and, and so these titles have, uh, have been used broadly uh, amongst those who are serving uh, the local churches. But I do not think that this is what our founding fathers had in mind. Uh, as they originally penned our, our Book of Church Order uh, back in 1973 and then adopted it and, and really have amended it uh, ever ever since. And so um, you would think, uh, Ryan and Kyle, that what we have would already be sufficient, but we find ourselves in a situation where it's not. Uh, you know, I think it was my first General Assembly in Greensboro, North Carolina. I attended a, a prayer meeting where we were discussing some different overtures and then praying over the business of the assembly. And it was the year that we were trying to constitutionalize uh, that PCA ministers could only marry uh, or perform wedding ceremonies for one man and one woman, because we believed that the scriptures were clear along with our standards uh, that marriage ought to be only between one man and one woman. Uh, and, and some of the pushback that we got uh, was that our standards are clear. Our book of church order is clear. Why do we need something further? Why do we need to constitutionalize this? And I remember uh, Rick, uh, Rick Phillips, Richard Phillips there at Second Pres Greenville, he said, you know, when, when you pitch a tent uh, and the winds start howling in the midst of the night, what is the first thing that you do when, when the wind's blowing your tent down uh, – while you're trying to sleep. Well, you go Trick put another... That's <laughs> Well, you know, we're in Dillon. Um, and so there's many people sleeping in tents, uh, whether they like it or not. Um, but you go and put another stake in the ground, right? Um, you, 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 tighten, you tighten the rope uh, so that your uh, tent might stand firm against the winds that blow against it. And I think that's what this overture is trying to do. Um, we're, we're putting another stake in the ground. We're, we're tightening the rope, if you will, because the winds of egalitarianism, uh, the winds of uh, postmodernism uh, are blowing against uh, the language that we use, the titles that we use within the Presbyterian Church in America. And so uh, it is now necessary um, where probably it wasn't uh, back in 1973 in the early years of our denomination. All right, well, Kyle, um, you know, this kind of thing has come up before. Uh, I know a number of years ago there was an attempt uh, to codify in the Book of Church Order that intinction is not a permissible uh, way to observe the sacrament instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ, and, and that failed. And uh, some of the people who were opposed to it were opposed to it on the basis of, well, 
BCO 58 is already clear. If we uh, codify this statement, we were acknowledging that BCO 58 wasn't clear. So, Kyle, I wonder if you could walk us through, uh, kind of in that vein, what does our Book of Church Order already say about, uh, about church offices and, and the deacon in, in particular? Yeah, so our Book of Church Order is very clear that there are two and only two offices, the office of pastor or, or elder um, or deacon. Sorry, my, sometimes I default to ARP because I came out of the ARP three office. My, my apologies, brothers. I'm officially two office now. now but, uh, who, who is your uh, quick we, obsession? <laughs> I, need to, I need to send a little document over to him. <laughs> uh, you, you can just send it over to Matt. He'll take care of it. So uh, we, we share a presbytery. So, uh, But there, there are only two offices um, according to Scripture, and that is reflected in our BCO. Uh, we have elders. We have deacons. Um, and and really, the, the important matter here is that um, when it comes to the office of deacon, we see that it is something that is outlined in the scripture to be something of service, uh, of sympathy, uh, of meeting physical needs within the congregation. And, and friends, that is a that's a very important thing. We we need deacons. We need diaconates. We need men who are set apart for this service uh, because we're not just souls encapsulated in flesh. We, we, we are body and soul, right? And we need physical ministry. And so the office of deacon is so important. Uh, but we also see that it is spiritual in nature. Uh, and there is an aspect of authority that does come with the office of deacon. They are leaders in service and they are called to be uh, set apart and ordained for that purpose, according to our BCO. And so the title of deacon, um, which in the Greek we know means servant, uh, it is a unique and special office in the church and uh, something that you know, is very important for the vital uh, vitality of the church. So you, uh, BCO 17.1, uh, those who have been called to office in the church are to be inducted by the ordination of a court, uh, which suggests to me that you can't have a deacon. You can't have an elder. You can't have a pastor who's not ordained. Uh, that would be something uh, very uh, problematic. Uh, Matt, what, what, what do you think? Can you have an unordained deacon? Can you have a, an unordained pastor or an unordained elder? Quite frankly, no. Um, you know, our Book of Church Order doesn't allow it. Uh, what is outlined for us in the scriptures do not allow it. You know, when we see uh, ministers being set aside for office, when we see elders being appointed for the New Testament church, when we see deacons being uh, elected by their congregation, we see a very particular uh, action being done with the laying of the hands of this setting apart for holy service uh, that recognizes what Kyle Brent just talked about. It recognizes a spiritual authority to lead and to care uh, for God's church, both uh, in physical nature, uh, in the acts of service, in the leading of service, um, and the acts of uh, the spiritual realm of the church, the guarding of the pulpit, the administration of the sacraments. And so within our two-office system, and we are two-office, Kyle, um, <laughs> elder and deacon, uh, you know, we, we have 
you know, we have the scriptures being very clear that these offices, these titles even, are to be used only for those who have been set aside for that particular calling. Um, and this idea of calling is is of utmost importance in the conversation as well, isn't it? Because we have both the internal calling and the external affirmation or the external calling. We have men who feel as if the Lord is prompting them uh, to pursue office. And then we have the church nominating, electing, ordaining these men so that they might serve in these offices. I mean, you think about just the, you know, we're, we're three teaching elders here. You think about the, the process in which we go through to become teaching elders within the Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, we have this idea of coming under care, right? And the coming under care, uh, you have to tell your testimony or your Christian experience, how you came to faith in Christ. Um, and then you have to tell how the church has affirmed that call. Uh, and both of those things play a very important aspect into the initial steps of ordination. And in the same way, uh, we have those things, maybe not as official uh, in a presbytery setting, but we have those same things happening within the local church. Um, and it's to those men who have felt that call internally by the, by the Lord uh, through his Holy Spirit and through his word. Um, and then you have the external affirmation of the local congregation uh, nominating, electing, and setting setting aside these men uh, for the work in which they have been called. And so um, our BCO defines those men who have been called by their local congregation as elders and deacons and and really no other. Um, those are the those are uh, the ones that uh, ought to ought to have and bear uh, those titles within uh, our local churches. Well, and you see that too in principle in places like BCO 8-1, I believe it is, where it ties, they're talking about uh, elders, um, uh, it ties their office uh, to their title. Uh, they they are in exercising oversh- oversight and care of a congregation, what are they called? They're called bishops or pastors. Um, and so it, it ties in principle the office to the title as the officer is performing his service in accordance with his calling. And so you have these things of office, title, and the duties to be performed coinciding together. But it's always the officer who bears the title, uh, not just someone who may be uh, serving the church in a diaconal way or in a in a uh, way of teaching, like women teaching other women, Um you don't see that being sanctioned, in my opinion, uh, as, as I read uh, 8-1, and it um, tying the office to the title uh, in the performing of the duties. So you might, uh, to use a, a different uh, field, just because I put a bandage on my six-year-old's knee uh, doesn't make me a doctor. Is that what you're saying? I mean, if you want me to call you the Reverend Dr. Ryan Beasy, you know, that's one thing, <laughs> but um, you're, you're not a doctor. Uh, but that doesn't qualify so, me to go to, you know, the, uh, the hospital across the street there and, and say, hey, I, I'm, I'm a doctor. I can put a bandage on that, that. The act of healing would not make me, would not qualify me to be a doctor in uh, the, 
medical world, the secular world. So the act of serving doesn't qualify me to be a deacon. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. And and please, if ever you you hire yourself out to go to a hospital, let me know which hospital so I know to avoid it. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, let's look at some examples of of why uh, this may be necessary. Uh, here we have, um, and we've looked at this at a, on a previous program, uh, uh, an example of a, a pastor of women uh, at uh, a church in Atlanta, uh, City Church uh, East Side, I believe. And, uh, you know, there, there is there's a sense in which, you know, all Christians are pastors, all Christians are deacons, uh, but is it appropriate that we refer to someone as a pastor who simply uh, has that general office of all believer? This one I, I thought well, for, was, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, by what standard can we call, um, you know, th- this, this lady, I'm sure she loves the Lord and wants to serve the church. By what standard can we call her a pastor? Is it a standard that has arisen from uh, among uh, her peers in the church, uh, her session? Uh, is that the standard? The session gets to decide who is and is not a pastor? Or is there some sort of standard that's above the session and above presbyteries and above even the General Assembly to which we can look to define what a pastor is? That's where I'm seeing a, a, a disjoining of of being Presbyterian means that we do have some sort of constitution to help define terms and yeah. to help us navigate uh, things like this. Uh, the, the BCO is a very helpful thing to give us some definitions, uh, and I don't think that we are at liberty to play loose and fast with those definitions at the congregational level. And can I circle back for a second, Ron, because I want to clarify something that I said or maybe um, give some further commentary to it. You know, I, I spoke of this internal call and external affirmation, and, and I grew up in the Pentecostal church. Um, the Church of God of Cleveland, Tennessee was the denomination, and there were many people who felt this internal call of uh, of preaching or teaching, um, of, of being a pastor, and yet that internal call has to match up with the biblical qualifications for that office as well. Um, And so immediately, and this is what our brother Kyle was uh, alluding to here, immediately, you know, by what standard is she a pastor? Well, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day if she feels the internal call or even that the church affirms that she is apt to teach. Um, You know, she might be a, a great women's Bible study leader. Um, But she cannot be a pastor simply because the scriptures forbid women to be pastors. Um, And so we have to make sure the internal call and the and the external affirmation uh, coincide with the biblical qualifications. Um, I've just started a, a journey through the book of Titus on Sunday mornings and and, and this was a big, uh, you know, this was a big push that I've made the past couple of weeks. We might really love the guy. Uh, we might really like the guy. We might like hanging out with them on the golf course or watching college football together on Saturday afternoons. But if he doesn't meet the biblical qualifications for eldership or to be on the diaconate, the, the purpose of, of nominations and elections 
to office within the church is not a popularity contest. Um, it has to be a biblically qualified male, according to our understanding of the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, immediately when we put up a, a pastor of women who is a woman, you know, our red flag should be going off that, you know, the session might love her. I'm sure they do. They wouldn't have put her in this position uh, if they didn't. But it is flying in the face of scripture to to have uh, an ordainable she she's not even able to be ordained to this office under the qualifications of, of scripture. But here again, this is what we're seeing within our denomination. We're seeing many people trying to kind of work around our BCO so that they might establish these positions of authority. Um, because let's just be frank, that title pastor of women, uh, oozes <laughs> screams authority um and and that does kind of make me circle back a little bit to our conversation about the the office of deacon because one of the things that kyle said was that deacons do have an authority uh the diaconate is an authoritative body a deacon is an authoritative role but what we'll hear from many within our denomination even, and this is what some of the other denominations in NAPARC are arguing as well, is deacon is a deacon authoritative, is a diaconate authoritative body. And so, Kyle, would you kind of expound that for a minute? Why would you say that a deacon is authoritative, that they have an authoritative role within the local church? Well, part of it is that we, we see the clear example that uh, deacons are ordained um that they're they're not just uh off to themselves they're not just uh, you know the regular lay person but they, they actually are are called and ordained uh and with that comes a, a delegated authority from the lord jesus christ who who is given to us officers to serve the church uh they are leading and making decisions concerning uh the church um, and while they are still under the oversight and direction of the session, uh, these men are called to serve in this capacity um, and, and to lead in their service. Uh, and so when you see, um, when we say things like, oh, well, the diaconate is, is merely service, uh, but there's no authority that goes with it, um, I don't think that's right. Why else would we have... Uh, doctrine of or ordination undergirding the diaconate. Um, uh, ordination is a real thing. Uh, it, it's, it's not a magical thing, but it is a real thing, a setting apart for sacred office for the purpose of leading and exercising authority under Christ Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, uh, for the good of the church and for the glory of God. And so if we, if we truly believe in a doctrine of ordination, which is not just a, a, a um, an ancillary thing or an arbitrary thing, uh, then we're going to see that you know, there is something authoritative about what the deacons are called to do in their ordination. Yeah, so uh, kind of continuing the discussion of deacons, here's a, a church, um, I think this was posted on there, uh, information packet for a, a potential pastor, and it says, uh, City Line Church, uh, we have intentionally chosen not to ordain deacons at City Line 
Instead, these roles and responsibilities are met by men and women on the benevolence, welcome, and ministry coordinating teams. So instead of uh, using uh, the office uh, instituted in the scripture to do those things, it looks like they have two, three uh, teams set up to do those, those tasks. Um, well, what's the, what would you say is the problem with this? Um, you know, why do we need it? Why can't we just call them what, whatever we want uh, and just withhold ordination? What's, um, you know, if we were to call someone a pastor, uh, here's another uh, situation where uh, here, Redeemer, uh, I think this one's in North Carolina, uh, some of their diaconate or their um, yeah, their deacons, uh, men, women, um, what's the problem with calling someone a deacon who's uh, not ordained? Why can't they just use the title? Is it, is it really that big of a deal, guys? Well, well, the scriptures are clear as to what a deacon is, uh, and that there is a setting apart and ordaining, a laying on of hands that that happens with the diaconate. Um, and, and so, when when we somehow make this this third category of deacon, but but they're not really a deacon, but they're serving alongside the deacons, but they don't really have the authority of deacons, then then that just seems like there's a playing fast and loose with uh, the terminology of deacon. Uh, it, it seems to be a, a third thing that's being created, uh, this kind of middle ground between what the scriptures have presented as an ordained office and, and generally what egalitarian uh, denominations, uh, and maybe not, you know, we think of our, our brothers and sisters in, in Napark, uh, they're, they're not part of egalitarian denominations, and yet they have um, the office of deacon open to women in certain cases. They're not egalitarians, but at the same time, there is this this third avenue, as it were, uh, in the PCA that we're seeing. In fact, I remember on one podcast, I think it was from one of our ARP brothers, uh, he said that uh, there are more uh, deaconesses in the PCA than there are in the ARP and the RPCNA combined. Uh, so that, that should be pretty telling that this is a pretty big third way, a third avenue, a third uh, category that has been uh, created, this deacon with you know, an asterisk beside it saying, oh, but it's an unordained deacon, which is something we, we don't simply, we simply don't see in the scriptures. Well, my concern I have is, you know, I would have much less alarm were mm -hmm. I in the ARP, where their book mm -hmm. allows the ordination of women to the office of deacon, right? In the, in the ARP, they don't just have deaconesses, they actually have ordained women deacons, Right. And that's allowed. Uh, I was discussing recently with Professor James Bruce about oaths and our uh, twenty chapter twenty two uh, paragraph four. An oath is to be taken in the plain and common sense of the word. Now we're not dealing with oaths here particularly, but there is an expectation uh, as Christians that we speak language in the plain and common sense of it. Right? Let your yes be yes, your no uh, be no. But when we have this loose understanding of deacon or pastor, um, that could be problematic and, and, and makes, me, makes me nervous uh, because our book of church order says one thing, uh, but you're seen to be practicing something different. Whereas in the ARP or the RPCNA, where they allow the ordination of women to the office of deacon, I may disagree with the principle that they're following, but at least they're being faithful to their 
to their book. I want to play something uh, from uh, teaching elder Charles Stover, uh, where he uh, tried to a- analyze this uh, situation in, our, in the Lord's Church, or at least this expression of the Lord's Church. Indeed. You may proceed, sir. Mr. Moderator, fathers and brothers, teaching elder Charles Stover, Missouri Presbytery. My brothers in Christ, if someone were to ask you, does the PCA have female pastors and elders, how would you answer them? That's the question that I was asked last Sunday. How would you answer that? According to the BCO 7-2, the ordinary and perpetual classes of church and, and, and offices in church are elders and deacons. In accord with scripture, these offices are open to men only. I remind you of these things because there is no confusion within our constitutional documents regarding who may serve as pastors or deacons. I believe it is unconstitutional and inappropriate to attribute the titles and functions of biblical office to both men and women who do not meet the requirements of said office. I believe it is inappropriate to ask candidates who would be disqualified biblically and constitutionally from that office to answer the ordination questions of that office. And there is harm to the peace and purity of the church by presenting certain people as something they are not by the misuse of biblical titles. This is an important issue. The peace and the purity of the church has been disturbed by churches attributing offices to candidates not qualified for said office particularly women serving as pastors, or at least given the title of pastor, and female deacons who are not ordained, but given the title and function of the diaconate. I believe this is inappropriate. It disturbs the unity and practice within our denomination, and it is misleading to our sisters and mothers. We should be encouraging our women to use their gifts in Christ's church, but giving them the titles of an office that they are biblically disqualified from is not the way to do it. That is disingenuous to our churches and harmful to our sisters. And for these reasons, I encourage you to vote this item in the affirmative. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Wow. Um, A lot there from uh, Teaching Elder Stover. Uh, So uh, he says we are presenting certain people as something they are not. He says we are misusing biblical titles. He's saying the peace and purity of the church have been disturbed by attributing uh, officers uh, to candidates who aren't qualify for those officers. He calls this misleading. He says you're giving women a title of an office for which they are not qualified. He says it's disingenuous, and he says it's harmful uh, to women. Well, in our uh, abuse-conscious age, uh, do you think uh, Mr. Stover is onto something there, or is this just hyperbole? Are we, are we harming women in the way that we give them titles for which they're clearly not biblically qualified? You know, you bring up the, you know, abuse, kind of the spirit of the uh, spiritual abuse uh, that we have here within the the church at large. Um, And we've been having some debates even within the PCA regarding those things, too. And so I want to choose my words very carefully, but um, there's always harm in trying to establish a role for someone who God has not intended that role to be executed by. Um, And and what I mean by that is God has established uh, the role of women within the church, right? Titus 2. Um, God has established the role of men within the church. Um, He has established the role of teaching elders and ruling elders and deacons within the church. And any time that we try to take an unqualified person, not just women, but an unqualified person, 
-hmm. and put them in those offices that they are not qualified for, we are putting them in danger. Uh, and, and primarily one of the places that my mind goes to is, is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, um, where it talks about, uh, Paul, uh, Paul, Luke, Barnabas, uh, Apollos, whoever you think wrote Hebrews. Um, uh, you know, the, the author of Hebrews is very clear in his exhortation that the people of the local church ought to obey their leaders uh, because their leaders are the ones that are going to have to answer for the way in which they lead. They're going to have to answer before the throne of judgment for the way in which they lead. And so you can say, uh, you know, well, this woman should not be a pastor or this woman should not be a deacon. But the moment that we put that title upon them now uh, through our action, we have held them liable before the throne of judgment. Um, and mm -hmm. we have a, we have established them as a leader within Christ church wrongly may i add but we have done that nonetheless and so immediately what we've done is we've we've had to or we've forced that woman that unqualified man to stand before the throne of judgment and to answer why they attempted to execute that role when they were unqualified before the lord himself um and brothers that is i mean that's sobering you know, I was speaking on the Sermon on the Mount uh, last night at, uh, at at our midweek prayer meeting, and I was we we're working through the Beatitudes, and we were thinking about this idea of being poor in spirit. Well, what's a help of trying to become poorer in spirit? One of the things I said is, imagine yourself before the throne of judgment, the way that you've acted, the way that you've boasted in self, the way that you've self-identified and relied upon yourself. Think about the way that you will have to answer for that before the throne of judgment. And that should scare the life out of you. <laughs> um, and, and, and yet uh, we've done the same thing to putting titles upon unqualified persons within the church. They should be fearful because they will have to stand before the throne of judgment as unqualified persons who have attempted to execute an office of leadership within the local congregation. Uh, and so, yes, I think it is harmful. Um, and, and it should be very convicting uh, to those who've done it to think that they have forced someone to stand before the Lord uh, in a role that they are not qualified to partake in um, or to execute. I think, I think, I think, too, Matt, that it's not just harmful for the souls of the people who are taking this title uh, and taking it wrongly, um, but it's also harmful for the people who are, uh, who are, to some degree or another, obliged to acknowledge their authority as these people have taken on these titles. Um, you know, that is, that is placing them in a very precarious position. Um, to, to acknowledge the authority of someone who is not a qualified candidate for these offices, but who bears the titles of these offices. Uh, and so it's not only, and, and I'm, I appreciate your very, very pastoral heart for the individuals who have been, uh, who, who've received these titles, but also think of the congregations that they're serving 
um, in, in a unofficial way, but yet in a in a titular way with, with this title um, that they bear. Um, there can be a lot of harm that's brought upon a church where there are false shepherds. Not not necessarily that they are ungodly or or undesirous to to truly help uh, and serve Christ in the local church, but they are shepherds falsely called uh, or deacons falsely called. And so um, I think of I think of the church and I think of how how it could be a very harmful thing in that context to the to the sheep yeah, that's a, to the people. That's a good point, Kyle, because you know, we we hear it so often on the floor of the assembly or maybe even on the floor of our presbyteries that uh, we we don't need to bind the consciences of men, right? Um and yet by putting titles or placing titles upon unqualified persons and then expecting the church to respect these persons as their title demands, pastor, elder, deacon, mm-hmm. um, even shepherdess would carry some sort of authoritative um, ideology to it. We're binding their conscience. And mm-hmm. and I'll use the line that, that many of our progressive brothers use. The Lord only is the Lord of the conscience. Our God is the Lord of the conscience. And so uh, what do we do with that? Well, the Lord has established who qualified persons are to serve in these offices. Mm-hmm. And so and, if we are we, going we, beyond that, we're binding we should the be clear that, of men. We should be clear that shepherdess isn't uh, an office and isn't uh, uh, going to be impacted at all by this proposed change. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you sound disappointed, but you know, one one of the strengths of item one, I think, is its narrowness. That you know we may great at the idea of shepherdess, but uh, if a church wants to call a lady a shepherdess or the Duchess of Lancaster or whatever, that would not be impacted by item one. We are talking about the reserving of three words: pastor, elder, or deacon. for ordained persons only. Yeah, so my wife can still be referred to as the first lady of First Presbyterian Church in <laughs> Dillon. That's what we're saying here. That is absolutely uh, correct. <laughs> we, we may even start calling her doctor. <laughs> <laughs> like like other first ladies. Well, um, so what uh, what is lost by not ordaining men uh, to church office. Uh, Guy Waters recently published an article on the uh, the PCA Polity blog. You can find it at pcapolity.org or .com or, or something like that. If you're if you got your iPhone out, you can scan the QR code and be taken uh, directly there. Uh, but Guy Waters says, you know, our Book of Church Order divines ordination as the authoritative admission of one duly called to an office in the Church of God, accompanied by uh, the laying out of hands with prayer, uh, to which it is proper to add the giving of right hand of fellowship. And as you've already noticed uh, or noted, I think, Matt, uh, we see that in the, the New Testament. We find examples of ordination, and, and Dr. Waters gives some examples of it in the Scripture in his article. Uh, so ordination is a biblical doctrine, uh, but what does it mean anything? <laughs> And, you know, as Presbyterians, you know, sometimes we, uh, we, we squirm at that. What does it mean? Uh, it's, uh, what, what does Guy Waters say? That the Presbyterian doctrine of ordination captures the balance reflected in the teaching of Scripture. Bannerman stated it well. Ordination is less than charm, but more than a form. 
It is, on the one hand, it's less than a charm. Uh, so it's not a sacrament. It's not a transaction in which grace is transmitted from church officers one to another. But it's not just an empty form. It's not a right that humans have devised that we're free to regard. It is significant. And why is it significant? Why is it not optional? Because we see it in the Bible, right? Uh, because it's practiced by the New Testament church. Um, uh, so then uh, Dr. Waters uh, asks us or, or considers, he, he recognizes uh, that ordination is the church's uh, recognition that a man is gifted for office. But isn't it interesting how even as the church recognizes this guy is gifted for office, he still needs the filling up of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, ordination is the act of a, man, of a church putting a man in office, giving him full ecclesiastical authority. We see that uh, in Acts 6. But uh, the church looks to God to supply richly the man being ordained with what he needs to conduct effective, faithful, and fruitful ministry in the church. So there's, there's this, this tension in ordination. On the one hand, we, the church is recognizing this man is qualified for church office. He has gifts and graces uh, that are needful uh, for church office. But on the other hand, when he kneels and we lay hands on him and we pray over him, what the church is also recognizing is his gifts in and of themselves are insufficient. Uh, well, what about churches that don't ordain deacons, that just commission them? They, uh, are they, at least by implication, saying that these persons are enough in and of themselves? Uh, it seems kind of a shocking uh, contrast there. Uh, or, or maybe I'm just overly sensitive. No, I, I think I, you're. I think you're onto something, um, Ryan. I think I think you hit the nail on the head, really, because. Not only have we, you know, to use uh, Pastor Stover's terms, not only have we caused confusion where there should be no confusion, according to our standards, um, we have now brought into question the historic conservative Presbyterian um, teaching or belief that is set apart uh, in uh, in the scriptures. You know, yes, we believe in the priesthood of believers, right? Um, we believe uh, in the the active membership within the local church, uh, and and yet when we take away the ordaining of qualified men to the office of deacon, the office of elder, we we are now not only weakening our membership vows, weakening our uh, our stance or our our belief in the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, but we are, but we are, and and I want to be very careful the way that I say this, but but we are stepping out of the way in which our Lord has established the government of the local church. Um, you know, our, our Lord has promised blessings upon individual Christians who walk in the way of holiness. Blessed is the blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, right? Uh, when we walk in the way of the Lord, Psalm 1, Psalm 119, 
many other references. Uh, the, the, the pathway is blessed, right? Might not always be easy, but it's blessed. When we walk out of that way, the, the implication there is the blessing of the Lord is, is removed. Um, and, and so, you know, this divine appointment in which Dr. Waters talks about here within this fantastic article on PCA polity, um, you know, he's saying by this divine appointment, we are exclaiming uh, that this is what the, the Lord of the scriptures has said in regards to how we are to set up the government of the local church. Uh, and anything beyond that, as he has prescribed it, we are stepping out of the way of Scripture. Um, we are we are stepping out of the path that our Lord has uh, established according to his word. And so not only are we in danger of unfaithfulness, um, just to be blunt, um, but we are also withholding blessing, uh, a promised blessing uh, from uh, our our congregations even um and, and and we we just we just get into some dangerous waters when we do that that that's a frightening uh way to put it and and i don't use that word often um but the was to step out of the paths of holiness to step out of the paths of righteousness to step out of the narrow way is 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 frightening um Waters has these two implications. One of the things I love about Waters' preaching and his, his writing is there's always practical application. Uh, so he gives these two practical applications to, um, uh, to ordination. One, that the whole church is looking to God to pour out blessing, since this man is insufficient. And two, as we ordain the man as an officer of Christ... Uh, we are recognizing that he serves Christ, he's accountable to Christ, but also that there's honor uh, due. And uh, when, we, when we get rid of ordination or when we withhold ordination, we're, we're not doing either of those two things, even if it's uh, commissioning. Well, why don't we talk about that? Uh, is ordination really all that different from commissioning? Um, I mean, are we, are we just policing language here? Are we the, are we the language police? Well, language is necessary for communicating truth, uh, and the Lord has used human language to communicate truth in his word. Um, and so language, you know, as one Puritan said when he was asked, you know, why are you so precise? Well, it's because I, preser I serve a precise God. Uh, God has given us language and has revealed himself and the way that he wants his church uh, organized and governed. In a very specific way, we see the language of ordination. We see the laying on of hands, the the setting apart to sacred office uh, in the scriptures. Um, but but mere commissioning uh, to do the work of an office seems to be undercutting uh, what has been clearly spoken in God's word. And so uh, that's where I'm saying it's not a matter of policing language because language is a real way of communicating things. God has used language. And has communicated, I believe, in, uh, in the scriptures, what he desires for his church to do. Jesus is king and head of the church. He's the only lawgiver in Israel. And so we, we need to listen to what he has spoken in his word regarding these things. And I don't think commissioning is the language or the pattern that we see, uh, especially in the New Testament, uh, 
uh, regarding uh, setting apart of offices. You know, uh, Ryan and Kyle, this is also discussed within the preface of our BCO. Uh, when it talks about Christ being the, the head of the church, um, our Christ, we know his three offices, prophet, priest, and king, right? Um, and it's through the ministry of ordained men that he has chosen uh, to to work in those offices for the local congregation. Uh, and so if we're just commissioning officers, we're, you know, we're not utilizing what God has said uh, in his word as the king of the church, as the head of the church. We're not using the means in which he said that he will work. Um, and it, it's, it's mind boggling to me um, that that we would try to do anything that our God has already said would not work. Um, you know, <laughs> did this we is not what... <laughs> learn the lessons of the old covenant church? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just you know, it's just you know, we, we talk about the ordinary means of grace all the time, right? God has said that He will work through the reading and preaching of the Word, the prayers of the people, and the sacraments, right? Ordinary means of grace. Uh, he will He will work through those things. He has also said that he will work through the ministry of men serving as elders and deacons in the local church. So why would we do anything beyond that? I mean, I mean, we're we're setting ourselves up for a disaster. We're setting ourselves up to to fail. Um, you know, the the dancing around looking like Teletubbies and and baby shark on the Lord's Day is not going to work. The ordinary means of grace are going to work. And titles being given to unqualified persons is not going to work. But but the but the offices given to qualified men within the local church will work. And that's why we take ordination so seriously. And it's kind of well, in a, on a previous episode of this program, we, we looked at evening worship and, and the number of PCA churches that have evening worship. And one of the things that uh, was brought up there is why would you not want to go to church twice on Sunday? Uh, that's how God, through the preaching of the Word especially, conforms us to Christ. Well, why would you not want to have elders and deacons who are ordained? Why would you not want the gift of ordination? Remember the gift you have that was given you in the laying on of hands by the presbytery or the council of elders. Let, let me just say... Let me just say that if there are any men who are listening right now to this podcast who are on a diaconate that is unordained, let me encourage you, move to Conway, South Carolina. Come to our church. If you are qualified, we would love to ordain and install you as deacons at our church. We need more men <laughs> like you. Come to Conway. It's really not Myrtle Beach, but, I mean, you're close. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, M Myrtle Beach is the Gatlinburg of the coast. Uh, we we're inland, so we we are we we are very different. Uh, we and we like to say that we are different from Myrtle Beach. So you certainly are different, Kyle. Um, so <laughs> you know, James tells us you don't have because you don't ask. And if Guy Waters mm -hmm. is correct in in his article. Uh, that ordination is an asking of God, is a calling upon God to fill up the gifts of this man. Mm. Is it simply you don't have because you don't ask? Uh, so the word mm. does make a lot of difference, whether it's commissioning, whether it's deacon, whether they're standing there with hands. I, you know, I've seen these 
deaconess or women deacon commissioning services where the women are, are standing and the men are laying, putting hands on them as opposed to uh, kneeling, which is just awkward. Uh, but, and I find a lot of things awkward. Uh, it's not just a change of language. It's a change of substance. And we, we must call upon God. Uh, and we kind of alluded to this earlier, uh, but in the PCA, we need to have this common understanding of what a pastor is. Right? You know, if you ask mm-hmm. someone, who are the pastors of your church? Will, they, will, will you as a member be able to give them uh, an answer that means something? You know, I was talking with mm-hmm. someone earlier this week, and, you know, we were saying, well, what, what do Presbyterians believe? Well, you know, in short, we believe the Bible, but that's not a helpful answer. Well, if I go to your church and say, who, who are the pastors of your church? And you say, well, we're all pastors. Or who are the deacons of your church? Well, we're all deacons. That's not really an answer that's helpful. It's true on some level. But it's not helpful because some people are set aside to the office of pastor. Some people are set aside uh, to the office of deacon and to the office of elder. So, and we've, we've talked about this earlier uh, a little bit, but I think uh, we needed to come back to it. Is this need for an explicit statement like this an indication of postmodernism seeping into the practice of the church? I would say yes, um, simply because what we have is we have these term, terms that we're using, these these titles, um, and we have a definition for them provided by the scripture and codified in our BCO, in our constitution. Uh, but then we see misuses or distortions of of those definitions. Uh, so we, we have we have the same words, but we're we're using different lexicons. Uh, to define what these things are. And it, and it seems um, that the default is not to rest upon what we've vowed to uphold in the BCO and uh, the language of the BCO, that the, the definitions of the BCO, but to somehow, either on an individual level or uh, at a sessional level or within the congregation, to come up with our own definition as we see fit. Now, I'm not saying that uh, if you you think our BCO and you're in the PCA, if you think it is unbiblical in these matters, that you should simply sit back and just do what it says. No, you have provision to change the BCO. It's it's arduous. Uh, It's a long process and and there's no no guarantee of success in doing that, but do it. Uh, If you you are able to try to do that, uh, do that. Uh, Otherwise, we need to be to some degree or another, submitting to the Constitution that we vow to uphold, or, and and I I hate to say this, and I'm not trying to run anybody off, but if you don't agree with how we have interpreted the Bible on these matters, and it's so so egregious what our BCO says about this, such that you you reject that definition and institute your own, and you can have communion and deny that. That agrees with you on that, um, and and we will have more unity because you do something along those lines. Um, and so I think that there is a postmodern turn. There there is a playing fast and loose with the definitions, 
uh, whenever someone in, in discourse says, well, what do you mean by that? And, and seeks to define things to death. I, I generally have to say, well, I, I think it's relatively clear what is meant in the context. We don't need to question the definition of everything or play fast and loose with the definitions of everything. And I think that's what we're seeing on a congregational level in regards yeah. to these titles. It's, it's this condition of low visibility that um, mm -hmm. people want to dwell in the vagaries of, of nuance and mm -hmm. the fortress of ambiguity, uh, which is a, a great segue into I want to um, encourage our listeners or viewers, uh, if you haven't already, register for the Reformation Worship Conference at Midway uh, Presbyterian Church in uh, Powder Springs, Georgia, October 19th to the 21st. Uh, the theme this year is J. Gresham Machen. Uh, he will. Uh, he he was prescient in many of the things he wrote, especially in Christianity and liberalism, which has uh, profound relevance uh, to our discussion uh, here today, as well as the ongoing uh, dialogue in the PCA about what sort of Presbyterian church uh, will we be? Will we be a vanilla Presbyterian church, or will we be uh, one uh, that is um, open and friendly to the? the winds of uh, progressivism. So I do encourage you to register for that if you haven't already. Yeah. And what, one thing about Reformation Worship Conference, seven years ago, I met my wife at Reformation Worship Conference. And so David Hall has asked me to, to promote it as a nuptial service. Can I mention something on postmodernism? The culture has used language in such a way, our language, may I add, in such a way that it's become the norm. Um, you, you think about our definition of marriage, uh, and then we just take the biblical understanding of marriage and we've associated it with homosexuality. So now we have homosexual marriage, and, and they use it in such a way that is so normal to our culture. One of my fears is um, that within the PCA that we would use these terms of deaconesses or, or you know, pastor to women and we would use them in such a way that they simply become the norm of our denomination. Um, and, and I don't think that would be appropriate for our denomination uh, as we have interpreted the scriptures. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I, that I would look forward to um, if this overtures is ratified is the the continuity of our historical understanding of what an elder is, what a pastor is, what a deacon is being used across the board so that there would not be confusion regarding uh, these offices. So, I mean, we 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 saw it, didn't we? At at uh, we saw something like this happening at, at the 50th General Assembly where Metro New York was cited for having a woman preach now the presbytery said well she didn't preach she led a bible study that just happened to be on the lord's day which just happened to be during the lord's day worship service and just happened to be right before uh you know the the lord's supper um but she was just leading the bible study or she was just sharing uh some thoughts of uh the scriptures and, and so we're you know we're playing fast and loose uh, with titles, language, uh, and we're, we're speaking in such a way uh, that I'm, I'm fearful that it's going to become the norm, that if we'll just play mm -hmm. fast and loose with our wording, we play fast and loose with the language that we use, really there's nothing out of accord or nothing out of order. Um, and, and that's just a, that's a 
when we're playing semantics, that's just a, a, a bad place to be. That's It drives me crazy when we're on the General Assembly floor and we're just trying to just play semantics for an hour. Let our yes be yes, our no be no. Uh, let's say what we mean and mean what we say. Uh, and, and let's be regulated by the word, uh, you know? Yeah, and, you know, uh, BCO 29.1, the Confession of Faith and Larger and Shorter Catechisms of the Westminster Assembly together with the formularies of government, discipline, and worship, and that's the book of church order, are accepted by the PCA as standard expositions of the teaching of Scripture in relation to both faith and practice. So when it comes down to what is a deacon, what is an elder, what is this, what is that, and it's referenced in our uh, book of church order, that's the exposition. Uh, so you know, there's, a, there's an example of, of this, uh, this church website, uh, that says, uh, the PCA Book of Church Order, which governs decisions like this, does our denomination allow female deacons, does not allow women to be ordained as deacons. However, because many churches in our denomination, like ours, believe the Bible does allow them to serve as deacons, they appoint or commission both male and female deacons, rather than electing and ordaining them. Well, that's fine. You, know, you can hold that position as your understanding of the Bible. But as, as Kyle has pointed out, we have, a, we have an understanding of the Bible that's different from that, which is reflected in our Book of Church Order. And so a church that uh, disagrees with the Book of Church Order on this point is free to try to change the Book of Church Order or is free to leave the PCA and join a faith communion where women may be ordained. Uh, but what they are not free to do is to disregard our Book of Church Order. Why? Because it is the accepted standard exposition of the teaching of Scripture in relation to faith and practice. Now, so here, this is a this is I, I think you're right, gentlemen. This is a dangerous uh, hill to be on, uh, where we are we are allowing a postmodern hermeneutic uh, to imp impact our faith and our practice. Um, now, let's say a church does desire to have women serving in diaconal areas. There's a way to do that lawfully, isn't there? Yes. Yeah, uh, you, you have the, the diaconal uh, assistant um, that's, that's spelled out in our Book of Church Order. Um, you know, it's, uh, well, let me just read it for you very quickly. It is often expedient that the session of a church should select and appoint godly men and women of the congregation to assist the deacons in caring for the sick, the widows, the orphans, the prisoners, and others who may be in distress or need. These assistants to the deacons are not officers of the church and as such are not subjects for ordination. Um, and, and so there is a way, a right way, um, a way that is spelled out in our BCO um, very clearly that would allow a session to appoint godly men or godly women to to assist the diaconate within their role. Um, now, you know, what we've talked about already on this show is they're not subjects to ordination, as this section says in chapter 9. Therefore, it, they're not given that authoritative uh, disposition or, or, or office within the church, but they are helping... Uh, the, the execution of the role. Um, and, and so, you know, I think that is, that's the BCO's way 
of saying, yes, there will be godly women. Yes, there will be women who are apt to service, gifted in service. Um, and, and there is a way to acknowledge that as a session. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I actually like this, uh, provision. It gives some, some freedom in our recognition of, of the Lord's blessings upon the church, right? He has blessed us with not only teaching elders, ruling elders, deacons, but he has blessed us with good godly women who are, are fit to assist in the ministry of the church, not lead in the ministry of the church. Let me be clear but assist in the ministry of the church. Um, you know, we at First Pres Dillon have a, a robust women in the church uh, team, and, and they help us uh, care for uh, families with new children, families who have lost loved ones. Um, they, they are instrumental in many of the fellowship opportunities that we have uh, within our local church context. And, and, they are great um, assistants and and the elders' role of being hospitable. Um, and so it's, you know, that is that's a glorious thing within the life of the church. What does the apostle Paul say? You know, we can't all be arms and we can't all be legs and we can't all be noses or eyes. And and, and so the Lord has blessed us with given us many different members within the church. Um, but what also does Paul say? Um the, the foot shouldn't desire to be the hand and the leg shouldn't desire to be the arm or the nose desire to be the eye um, because we've all been given different functions. Um, and so uh, this, this BCO provision in 9-7 allows us to recognize that there are, there are great feet to this body of Christ in First Pres Dillon. Um, there, there are great hands um, they are there are members within this church, men and women, uh, who are vital within the ministry of the church as they uh, are assisting uh, the diaconate. Uh, and so it's a it's a great thing what the BCO's done in nine seven, I believe. Well, and and can I can I just add to that? I mean, just from personal experience, we we currently have uh, one of the widows of our church who who has a terrible ruptured disc. She's in terrible pain. Uh, and her daughter's in town to help and to serve her right now. Uh, but the church is serving. And, and how is the church serving? We have an army of ladies who is keeping their food stock, their uh, refrigerator stocked and coming by to, to pray with and for her um, alongside the elders of the church. We, you know, every one of my elders uh, has gone by to pray with and sit with her and to encourage her as she's trying to deal with the pain and pray with her. Uh, but ladies have been going by and doing that too. My my ladies are not asking to be called elders or pastors or deacons in their execution of of these tasks. They just want to serve. And, and it I'm just amazed by my ladies and how they have uh, stepped up to serve uh, this 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 dear woman uh, in her time of need. Uh, and that's exactly what we see in our BCO, those kinds of assistants coming alongside the ordained and installed officers uh, for uh, the, the ministry of Christ in our body. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to see, uh, and it, it doesn't need an official title in order to execute these things. Right, indeed. Our, 
our purpose here is not to diminish the ministry of mm-hmm. unordained people. Uh, mm-hmm. Our purpose is to encourage obedience to Christ's commands and uh, to appreciate the blessing of ordination. Uh, I, you know, and, and that's why, you know, maybe it was a little pedantic, Matt, and I hope you weren't offended, but that we don't want to uh, think that, you know, you can't use the title shepherdess or you can't use the title uh, deaconess because that's not, that's not on the table right now. That's not up for discussion. Those are, those are fine uh, whether or not item one passes. And, you know, our, our book of church, or not our, uh, one of our um, ad interim committee recognizes that godly women who assist uh, the church in her function are often called, historically, uh, deaconesses. Now, you know, that can be confusing, but right now, there's nothing wrong with calling someone a deaconess. The issue is calling an unordained person a deacon, an elder, a pastor. Um, uh, because there is why a wide field of ministry uh, for unordained people uh, to serve and to bless uh, the church. Uh, well, I think we've we've uh, come around a lot. Um, I think we've settled all of the uh, ambiguities and uh, vagaries of this particular uh, Book of Church Order amendment. As we uh, bring it in for a landing, guys, what are some of your aspirations and encouragements or your concerns for the future of the PCA? Speaking for the younger generation of teaching elders here. You know, one of the things that I appreciated and was deeply encouraged by this last General Assembly is that there seemed to be a a sweet unity uh, amongst the body. Um, You know, we had some heated debate uh, on some matters, um, but it it was good debate. It wasn't emotionally driven debate. It wasn't uh, debate that ridiculed uh, or impugned evil motives. Um, it was simply good, orderly debate, and it showed some some real unity uh, amongst the body of the PCA. And so, I'm looking for further unity. Um, now, of course, uh, you know I'm I'm a confessionally minded Presbyterian. Uh, and so, uh, unity, I think, requires us to to have a a robust understanding and an adherence to um, the Westminster standards. Um, uh, you know, I, I, our father in the PCA, O. Palmer Robertson, uh, uses kind of the phrase "intensely Presbyterian." Um, I, I'm intensely Presbyterian, um, and. And, and yet I also think that uh, it takes an intensity to, to guard ourselves from things like po- postmodernism. Um, and, and, and I think that if we can stand the test of time um, firmly rooted in the scriptures, adhering to what we have declared is a good systematic uh, understanding of the scriptures, which is the Westminster Confession of Faith and Larger and Shorter Catechisms. Um, let me just add real quick that the Larger Catechism is something that needs to be studied. And I heard there's a great podcast out there that, that's working through the Larger Catechism that you should check out. Um, You're a 20% but, stakeholder in that podcast, Larger for that, Life, aren't you? That's right. That's right. Um, and so, you know, I just think that uh, uh, further unity in are rooted in our standards 
uh, is an encouragement to me. You know, one of the one of the things that I've heard guys say here the past couple of years is this this young generation, this newer generation that's coming up of of ministers and even ruling elders are real um, are real devoted to our standards, uh, and that brings me a lot of encouragement. Um, uh, you know, but um, a c- concern, right? A concern. Um, a concern would be uh, that uh, while there seemed to be a lot of unity amongst the body of the General Assembly as we were gathered there as teaching elders and ruling elders, uh, there is some perceived disunity uh, between our presbyteries. Um, and I would love to see our regional bodies uh, becoming more and more united uh according to our standards. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I love that we're grassroots. I, I love, uh, you know, that, that, that facet of our Presbyterianism. Um, but we have to find some way to, to find some, you know, we have to find a way to encourage uniformity amongst our regional Presbyteries. Um, you know, when, 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 when you have a, a you know, a, a conservative, uh, you know, Presbytery like PD in which uh, Kyle and I belong to, you know, when we have, you know, if we're judging uh, declared differences, um, you know, it seems to me as if the, the, the PCA could find some sort of uniformity that says, you know, we might think it's merely semantic, uh, or more than semantic, we're not striking at the vitals. Uh, and yet, you know, this, this other Presbytery could say, oh, yeah, there's no problem with those things at all. Um, it's not even semantic, really. Um, you know, the interpretation of our standards needs to become, maybe that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. The interpretation of our standards, yeah, uh, need, need to be a little bit more uniform. And, and so there's been some concerns that some of the rulings that I've, seen at general assembly or or even heard about since general assembly some of the rulings of of, of presbyteries has been quite troubling and concerning to me i remember when i was a college student in ascension presbytery one of my ruling elders were telling me about a situation in which a guy came uh he was ordained in pittsburgh presbytery and then he was trying to transfer into ascension presbytery and ascension said with those views you're not coming in. And it was because and, and they share, you know, they're geographically, you know, one you know, Ascension is Northwestern and Pittsburgh is Southwestern. Both, you know, are pretty solid presbyteries now. Uh, Ascension probably in the top three or four uh, of solidness. But, you know, what, what what's a man to do when his views are acceptable in one presbytery, but another presbytery says, not, not going to work here? Uh, and I think we're actually going to start seeing that uh, a lot more within uh, within the PCA. You know, some of these exceptions that have been granted, uh, you know, I, I, I could say with great confidence, I think, that they just would not cut it in PD Presbytery. Um, and that's the right of that Presbytery, right? But, um, you know, it, it causes major conflict amongst the body uh, when – a presbytery over here is is not accepting the exception of a presbytery over there. Um, yeah, and and, mm-hmm. and so you know a unity, a uniformity uh, in regards to our standards. Uh, you know, I've even argued 
uh, on some blog posts and such that I've wrote, written that um, we need some uniformity even amongst our worship practices. I think mm. that causes uh, some real uh, brotherly affection, peace, uh, purity within the church as well. And so um, uniformity would be my concern, I think. Well, Kyle, what about you? What are your aspirations? What are you encouraged about? You know, what concerns do you have about the PCA? I mean, to somewhat mirror what Matt has said, I'm greatly encouraged by seeing uh, men my age, younger, coming into the PCA and working in the courts of the church, working on committees. It, it is a breath of fresh air to see that um you know i i've desired uh and love going to presbytery i desire to go there i desire to work on committees and i know that i'm not alone there mm. are men young men even within our presbytery matt uh, matt being uh, another one of these young men um that we just love the church and we want to serve the church and we want to serve the church in the various courts of the church and and there are so many of us, you know, we, there are statistics out there that have said that denominations and different, different communions are, are, are aging at a rapid pace, especially among uh, the ordained uh, ministers of, of those denominations. But, but we're not necessarily seeing that in the PCA. We are seeing strong, vibrant, faithful men who are coming out of the various seminaries serving our, our um, denomination, uh, coming in equipped, well-equipped, um, and, and even I, I know of some seminaries that have emphasized and made it a priority that, that their students, their in-div students going into the PCA will have a working uh, and, and deep knowledge of our standards, the standards of our church. I'm greatly encouraged by that because I think that is laying groundwork for, as Matt said, future unity, unity built upon the truth, unity built upon our confession of faith, our catechisms. And I think our seminaries are serving us very well in, in training um, uh, with, with, with ample knowledge so that when they can stand before a presbytery and say, I do take this exception, they, they do so um, knowing that it is a legitimate exception. Uh, or they stand before the presbytery and say, I take no exceptions. They do so knowing what the confession, shorter and larger catechism, is teaching. And so I'm greatly encouraged to see uh, young men uh, flooding into the PCA and serving the church. Uh, one of my concerns, um, and, and this has been my concern for quite a while, um, and it somewhat, again, mirrors what Matt has said, but I think oftentimes our individual churches suffer from an identity crisis. Um, we, we often take on the trappings of, of the church cultures around us, right? Mm. Um, I'm, I'm from the deep South. I'm from um, South Central Mississippi. Um, and I, the the worship of some PCA churches down there, not all of them by any means, well, it's, it's often uh, flavored by what you might see in one of the old Southern Baptist churches like the one that I grew up in. You know, and there's there's nothing wrong with some of the old hymns that we share, and but but we need to go back and say, okay, what's our identity as Presbyterians? What does Presbyterian worship look like? What, what does ecclesiology look like from a Presbyterian's perspective? Um, what is our doctrine and practice? Uh, how is that rooted within historic Reformed faith, faith, practice, worship, and ministry? 
in other areas, it may be that uh, an individual congregation is, is more identified with with a higher church tradition. Um, and, and we look at these other traditions and we're saying, okay, what are we going to learn from them without first learning from our own tradition, learning from the historic uh, reformed way of doing life, ministry, and worship, and building from there before borrowing perhaps from other traditions. And so that's why I say to some degree or another, it's an identity crisis. You can have three PCA churches all lined up on the same street, and you may have three completely different varieties of worship. Um, I'm not I'm not a proponent of uniformity. Um but I am a proponent of unity. There should be some semblance uh, that all of these things are coming from the same place. And, and sadly, I don't think that's the case. And so my concern is a lack of identity among individual churches. And I would love to see more unity uh, in worship and in practice. And, and like we've been discussing, more unity as we've talked about the ministry of the church, especially regarding titles, officers, uh, and their role and function in the church. Unity around what we've confessed together, that we understand it together, uh, not simply set by our social or geographical context. Right. Well, thank you both for uh, coming on. Uh, appreciate uh, everyone uh, who's listening or watching this. This has been uh, the Westminster Standard Podcast, which is brought to you by uh, Jude 3. Thank you, Ron, for having us. Thanks. Yeah, thank you.